Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello and welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? Thank you for hitting on the button. Appreciate it. Looking forward to this conversation or you hearing this conversation with my brother, JJ Draper, singer-songwriter, Manchester United football fan as well, which we touch on towards the end. Anyway, thank you for being here. Thank you to the sponsors, as ever, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Time of recording uh, on Wednesday. Just actually seen Jason Briggs went for a, f- a friend of mine post tennis match. Went for uh, some food at uh, the Gallimore's Kitchen restaurant in the courtyard in Montpellier, in the heart of Cheltenham, in the west of England. And Jason was just popping out of his shop, which is opposite Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, and saw him there. Looks in good spirits, sprightly up and down those stairs. So he's uh, is obviously still uh, not suffering too badly from the injury, his knee knee problem. Still playing football, I think. But good team, good. T- Obviously, Bang & and equipment, fantastic. But through Serene AV, that sister company, brother company, whatever you call it, can source you the best home entertainment equipment that suits your vision, your budget, whatever brand that may be. And they'll come out and give you a consultation. Jason will speak to you, visit your home. If it's a big home entertainment system you're looking to install, whatever it may be, they'll uh, give you the best advice. So get in touch with Bang & of Cheltenham. They're on B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media as well appreciate their support as i do cytoplan food-based supplement company that my father has worked as a consultant for my father being dr mark draper is a general practitioner and a nutritionist specializing in micronutrition trace elements vitamins and minerals are his area of expertise and he's a big fan of the cytoplan's range particularly their multivitamin multivitamin you may call it range we take immune complete and through the podcast, you can get a discount, which you can apply to any any of the uh, supplements available at cytoplan.co.uk. So if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, the discount code is DRAPER10R. So my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. And if you're looking for an interesting project, if you ever wanted to document your loved one's life story in their own words before um, that dreaded moment, I suppose, of, the, of them passing on, something to say for posterity, for legacy, something that I've been working on my wife. And we've been developing a pilot, actually, pro, uh, program, pro, pilot company, where we've spoken to all our extended family members, mothers, fathers, aunties, uncles, just to get them on record, including my uncle, actually, from California. So I was on the phone for him for about four and a half hours on Zoom. But it's an idea where we sit down with a loved one and effectively we're offering it as a private service to members of the public. So we sit down with a person, typically in the, I suppose, third, fourth quarter of their life when they've when they've lived a little bit, but could be different in different circumstances. But I sit down as a professional broadcaster with 20 years experience now, and obviously a lot of experience on this podcast and other podcasts of interviewing people and just chat. It's not really an interview, it's a conversation from childhood up to the present day, the key moments, the key people. And it's a process we're calling, or a company we're calling, Attic Box Audio. And you can find out more about it at drapermedia.co.uk. Just the idea, I think, for my wife, who lived opposite her grandma when she was a child. And she's kind of been pushing the idea of uh, the importance of, of having those voices from our youth that 
dissipate a bit, don't they? Get a bit foggy in your memory as time wanes on. And we wanted to have that ability through preserving now our parents' voices for my daughter, but also for her children to have a record of their great-grandparents and their life story going back to the 1940s, 50s, which is really cool because the world was so different. So the idea is Attic Box Audio. You can find out more about it at drapermedia.co.uk forward slash Attic Box Audio, primarily in the west of England, close to us in Cheltenham, where the idea is to either visit people in person or them come to us to sit down for a relaxed conversation for a couple of hours, quality audio recording. You get a transcript with um, a book that will illustrate the story as it winds on through photographs from childhood up to the present day of whoever the subject of the conversation is, the loved one that that you want to book the appointment for. But it's something I think that you, you could do digitally, but I'm not sure it'd be as good to do it digitally through Zoom. But obviously that could be an option if if you're further afield, particularly in another country at the moment with all the restrictions and everything and probably not worth doing a, a, a specific flight from the States or Australia or something for it. But an idea, check it out, Attic Box Audio at drapermedia.co.uk. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. Here he is, JJ Draper. Like all musicians, people involved in musical events or acting or whatever it may be, plays in particular, been a very frustrating 18 months for him, was uh, coming up on the cusp, he felt, of a, a big time in his music career 18 months or so ago. Then the pandemic struck. He's got a gig coming up in Camden, North London, this coming Saturday, October the 2nd. So check out his social media. I am JJ for more information. But here he is, my little bro, the one and only JJ Draper. JJ Draper, welcome back to the podcast, the, the man of the jingle. What do you reckon? It sounds good, doesn't it? I love it. It's good, yeah. It only took me a year or something to get it back to you, so it's pretty, uh, that's a kind of turnaround that I work on. It's actually, I think it was 19 months, actually, since I first talked to you about you, February 2020. But you had, you've had a really busy period with all the gigs over, over the pandemic, so we'll let you off. <laughs> exactly. I was slammed. Yeah. So what's happening? So, no, but you are you, to the grind. But you're coming back, aren't you? You got a gig. You got a gig. Uh, what? Yeah. October. October the first. Is it Friday? October second, Saturday. So just so the week tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, I'm buzzing. I'm so buzzing. What? It's um. No, carry on. No, where is the gig? It's a Camden Assembly, which is to anyone who. Uh, it's just opposite round, like sort of well near the Roundhouse in Camden. It's a good venue. That's just about 200, 250 cap or something. And uh, used to be Barfly. Some people know it as Barfly. So yeah, so it's there. So it should be cool. I've never, never, never played there, but been to gigs there. Well, so it's, it's good acoustics, is it? It's a fun place. Yeah, it's like a it's like a classic black box venue, really. It's up upstairs above a bar, kind of insulated little black uh yeah black blocks black box studio venue so it should be uh should be good sound yeah quite because it's quite a sort of tight square room so yeah so i think it'll be good yeah yeah, yeah. So that sounds sounds very cool you you warmed up for that by um playing a gig in a medieval square in chipping camden didn't you in the heart of the cotswolds what was that like chipping camden <laughs> No, it was actually in a in a sort of children's playground, actually, but um, or like a, the the rec, the recreation ground. That was, um, yeah, that was probably I would genuinely say it's probably the hardest gig I've ever played in my entire life, because uh, we were obviously unbelievably rusty, which we have, which which we have been in rehearsals, but also it's kind of like 
huge open field with quite a small sound system and also we didn't have a drummer for the day so me lorenzo and bobek uh rocked up with you know without changing the arrangements much other than just to not have drums so it was a little bit just random bizarre <laughs> it didn't really work but um it was fun anyway it was sort of a reminder that it's good to you know it, it a reminder that it's yeah well just there are a lot of gigs that are, that are tough like that where you're not playing to an audience who are there to kind of specifically see it and stuff like that so it was uh yeah, it was an interesting one anyway, my finest hour. It's all learning experience. So, so you think drummers are important, are they? As a non-musical person, I don't, I don't know. Are they, the, are they the key to the, the ambience? Well, no, I mean, it's not so much, not so much. Um, I mean, I mean, drums are great and they tend to be good, good live as well. People, people always like the drummer, especially if you can give them interesting stuff to play. But I think more than that, it's just that, if you pare down an arrangement, we, we didn't have time to rework arrangements without drums and kind of do something unique. So instead we just were missing drums to and yeah. the rest of us, rest of us were just playing like there were drums, but there weren't any. And like <laughs> Lorenzo's got all these like shredding solos in our set, which obviously you need the kind of energy from the drums. And, the, and so he was like playing these solos that were just falling completely flat. What, what, what does, is Lorenzo the what's Lorenzo lead guitar? Yeah, lead guitar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's me, Lorenzo on guitar, and Bobek on bass. And I haven't seen you since the days of Troubadour and Earl's Court, so I have to watch you play again, again soon. And I, now that Zoe's a little bit older, I probably can can get out yeah. to to watch you if I'm not working a late shift. But what what are the what are you doing? Are you still playing guitar or are you just singing? What, what in the? No, I play. You know, I, I play. Um, apart from in a couple of songs, I play. Uh, the rhythm, the rhythm guitar, really. So, picked either either strumming chords or picked uh, acoustic. Well, actually, no. I play. I'm playing exclusively electric guitar, but not. But but that's just because uh, I've got a guitar that goes between different guitar tunings, so I don't have to keep swapping onto different guitars or swapping tunings because it's been a uh, a famous JJ Draper uh, nightmare of swapping between tunings during sets and it taking about 20 minutes and me having to blag jokes for about 20 minutes in the middle of the set, which actually, which actually could lead to, to be all right. But it's, um, yeah, it just takes a lot of that stress out of it. You did, um, you, you did, you tuned uh, Zoe, my little girl's guitar yesterday, her Spanish guitar. So that was good. Apparently that's Carlos when she was at school, but she never had lessons. But I suppose for you is the, um, is a guitar playing because you made, some self-deprecating marks about your guitar skills, I think, on on your Instagram page. Yeah. Are you, is that something you're still focusing on trying to develop that? Well, yes and no, really. Like, I, I've got... A, um, yeah, like I play a lot of guitar on um, on the records. There's some records that Lorenzo doesn't doesn't play on at all. I played the lead, on, lead guitar on there and stuff like that. And it's... I'm not... I'm the only real setting in which, I mean, my timing's a bit average, but I think that's also just because I'm focused a lot on the song and a lot of the singing and I've always been sort of slightly distracted, but I'm okay. <laughs> um, but the only setting I wouldn't play electric guitar is just in like an open jam where everyone starts playing and then I'm trying, you know, um, so it's more like the kind of the rudiments of like scales and things that I'm not particularly good at. But like, 
I like guitar, various guitar tones and, and, and like on the record, yeah, like I say, I play a couple of solos and a couple of things like that. So, and I've got a specific type of playing, which is, yeah, using picking patterns and stuff because I trained as a Spanish guitarist. So I play some stuff that's actually probably quite difficult, but it's just in my natural, it's more in my natural repertoire than um, than other stuff. Yeah. But but yeah, I should I should probably do a bit more of the kind of bedroom guitarist, just doing rudiments and stuff like that, which is probably um, I'm going to start. You can see I've got mics and stuff here. I'm going to start doing more home recording. So that will probably come come with doing that. Well, I'm really glad that I inspired you with my keyboard lessons that I think were before you were born with my uh, go. mum would yell at me to practice, go practice. And I got, oh, I got upstairs and put demo on the keyboard and uh, kick a ball. Yeah kick a football around my bedroom because I wasn't really interested in music and then I have these blazing yeah. arguments with my um keyboard coach that I wasn't practicing even though I wasn't really practicing but I could do like one thing and that well, well yeah I couldn't really get the uh I, got, I, I practiced Spanish guitar and did you know did grades on that but piano for whatever reason even though I love classical piano I just could not face the um learning in that way I don't know why I think it's also just teachers isn't it it's like who if you, if you if I could go back and probably be like no I don't think this teacher is going to be good and find someone who who made me more excited about piano because now I look and I think like people like Rufus Wainwright they he's a classical pianist but he can sing he can sing whilst playing like counter rhythms on piano two counter rhythms on piano a classical piece of music and then sing over the top yeah and it would just be un unbelievable to have that that technique but he was he was quite a troubled guy as well, wasn't he? Often with that extreme talent comes extreme sort of psychological disturbance. The late the late Rufus Wainwright, isn't he? No, 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 no. He's no, he's still alive. His mum passed away. Oh, um, sorry. No, no, he's no, he's he's. I mean, he what he yeah, he was like addicted to crystal meth, I think, and he went blind or something at, at one point because of doing so much crystal meth. <laughs> but he's he's like he's all right now. But he was, uh, I think, also he was he was son of two. Well, certainly one well-known musician and, and his mum was a musician as well. And I think just a kind of prodigal, he had a sort of prodigal rise to uh, to fame as like, he's like 18 or something. So I think it's yeah. probably just, just that, that kind of typical uh, too, yeah, too much exposure, too much everything like that. It's, it's interesting hearing comedians speak. I think there are analogies with musicians in terms of evolving their identity and, and a lot of comedians say that when they start they're sort of heavily influenced by another comedian that's gone before them and often I think they say that in the states a lot of them imitated a guy called David Tell because of his cadence and delivery and they oh, see yeah. that and, and then they grew out of it and it's interesting with music it feels like listening to your stuff with an with a very untrained ear myself that there seems to be an evolution that you seem to be generally injecting more of your natural energy into it because a lot of your influences early on were, were more melancholia than than perhaps i think your sort of yeah. auth authentic self do you think that's true i don't know well i think my um i think that is true in terms of especially you kind of the people that i was really obsessed with when i was probably forming um <clears throat> forming the musical uh, uh passion or whatever i now see them in a more sort of i suppose rounded less kind of ideal idealized idealized whatever yeah um 
way so i kind of see like oh they've got good things about this they've got good things about that but then they fall down here and then other artists you know i'm like i like that about them and i don't like this about them or whatever and some artists you do think they're they're, they're bloody awesome all around but i think so you kind of it hones and also like you say you're you, yeah you stop thinking that just because you like something doesn't mean that you need to impersonate it or anything like that and i think my music especially well, yeah, I think the album that I've, I've finished now, but also the stuff that I've released in the last year, it's really quite varied in terms of, you know, there's more, there's, more, there's a, a sort of standalone rock track and then like, um, uh, yeah, kind of the more, the, the more melancholy, folky stuff and then the more experimental things. And I think what my personality would dictate and what is that it would be varied, really, just that it's sort of yeah. deliberately, deliberately, well, not really even deliberately, but like avo avoiding um, avoiding being pigeonholed or samey, and then, but but that being an you know a natural process where you where I'd like I'd write a song and I'd go hmm, instead of going like well I could never make that song I just would go to the studio and make the song and finish it and then you know it's an honest it's an honest thing rather than being like no it's not in my style or like oh it's not in my, you know. That's a, that's a difficult balance with an audience as well, isn't it? Because often audiences want to instinctively know what a band is. You could look at sort of classic famous bands and how they evolved. And often people wanted the original sound that they had or the original big song, the number one hit. And actually, you know, like you say, it's if it's representative of, of your stage of life and, and your mood and what and, and that will naturally ebb and flow, particularly with the uh, the Draper bipolarism that <laughs> everyone suffers yeah. from. That actually yeah. it's... Um, it, it, I, I mean that tug in cheek, of course, not severe, some severe actual medical thing, but just a, a sort of general emotionality to it. But it's um, it's it's something that I suppose the, the audience sometimes doesn't want. They want your best best stuff, don't they? They want the, the hits all the time and the, the things, yeah. the, they, the, the things that drew them to you in the first place. I suppose. Yeah, I think it's probably damaged damaged me as an artist quite a bit. Is being uh, like in terms of um, finding a path through. I think my because early on it was sort of like people wanted a, I, I did a, a, a tracks that were kind of I didn't think they were I didn't even know I didn't even know what this what this really meant at all at the time but like stuff that would be considered like chill or chill out and I don't I, I didn't really ever consider what I was doing to be like that but that kind of did very well and so I think then coming back with music that was quite different to that in in many ways probably not not the best thing in terms especially the way the modern audience listens because they get a lot of people are listening with curate with curated spotify playlists that are mood based so if you constantly swap mm. mood or at least all oh, right so you don't mood, fit that you don't fit the uh the algorithm no no i think it's probably quite difficult i'm hoping that just having spent enough time now doing my own thing that the album you know there's enough I think there is enough uh, kind of um, genre coherence between the album, but I think, yeah, definitely it will hurt um, the algorithmic, like, or even, you know, Spotify curated stuff. Cause if you don't fit on loads of the same blogs as well, then loads of the same um, playlists, you don't, you don't get that follow on. I know people who get on basically the same playlist every single time they release a song. And like my song that I'm releasing on Friday, I'm releasing this on week today that won't be on the same 
it might be on might cross over on some playlists but it probably won't it won't be like you know this i mean assuming it gets some good playlists you know um it it wouldn't necessarily be on the same playlist as the as the song after that because the song after that has drums and a lot more like energy and kind of raucous thing so so you have to kind of build a build a reputation more as like a as an artist than a than sound yeah than like individual individual songs doing the work for you or something i think so it's just, trying, different. just trying to get on those playlists with oasis aren't you that's your dream i think after uh <laughs> growing up growing up with my uh my musical tastes oasis and come on <laughs> great band nebworth 96 that's where you're uh you're aiming for that kind of that kind of event but it's it yeah i suppose it's interesting as well with that kind of um homogenous feel that some people have they're trying to kind of and maybe for Spotify's purposes now in the modern musical world is, is have that fixed sound I suppose you think it's inorganic in the sense that your a lot of your work is is natural in the sense that it's, it's sparked by individual events in your life that sort of Gwythian song famously about the beach that you were on in the mist and then there's the uh, the song if you're awake in the night which is about stabbing on the the flat that we sometimes shared in Isleworth in West London a few years ago a stabbing of a, a young lad there um, and actually that was very particular type of move, but it was a, a a real event, a real life event. So I suppose if you are going to have that sort of sense of personal narrative to it, then it's always going to be up and down and and different. Yeah, tones. totally. Yeah, 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 totally. And also, I I think because I was always I was a performer before I was a a songwriter. Um, you know, I was never like a sort of shy songwriter writing loads of stuff in my bedroom. So it never it was always about like performance so there's always going to be i i see it as my duty to like hugely ebb and flow dynamic shifts in a set so like when we do our set lists it's like if it drops down for a couple of songs either in tempo or in terms of arrangement then i feel like we need to do a kind of and i I probably would want to do as well on stage a kind of much more up tempo or much more heavy probably heavier track um and kind of you know putting in the bits where you know the audience are going to maybe know the song a bit more um picking those times i think that's about having been a performer rather than a um yeah rather than like a bedroom songwriter so it will always shift because i i yeah it's a it's like i think that always plays into my mind is how much dynamic I, I like dynamic shifts I like things to go from like super quiet to super loud or whatever so that's difficult again for playlists actually they don't want dynamic shifts they want things that are like a consistent, mm. consistent yeah, yeah. Uh, volume and mood how, how, do, how does repetition come into it now as you think you've been doing this for for 10 years I suppose in in lots of ways do you feel that it becomes more instinctive you, you don't have to think about your identity or your sound per se and I suppose you can liken it again to the, the stand-up comedians or even presenting in, in my world in broadcasting. I suppose you do take pit, bits of, of different things that you model almost more consciously and then it becomes subconscious as you find what your version of the craft is. And I think that for me is probably the last couple of years, actually, I've been doing it for 15, 20 years. So I think it's it's something that, that definitely evolves and you sort of confidence comes with it because people always say about confidence being in sort of something that you can have as a general state but I think there is in terms of craft is something that becomes more natural in a way you you go back to where you started with that instinctive 
feeling that you began your sort of journey on, I think, when you go through that period in the middle of, of trying to kind of consciously figure your way through learning a skill? Is that something that you, that you found that maybe you're coming into that more sort of instinctive, impulsive phase again? Um, or not? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, I get, I certainly think um, getting a lot of like, I don't know if it's if it's that exactly, but I certainly have noticed that I'm much more leaning towards um, simpler arrangements with like a four or five piece band. Really, like the best the best thing for me is re is rehearsals and and like you know playing a new playing a new song to the band and then them all gradually picking it up and then we jam and then we jam it to me that's the most interesting yeah interesting thing and it doesn't have to be complex it can literally be like a, a kind of country um chord progression and like a really simple vocal and I think that's probably where I'm probably where I'm most interested I'm less interested now in in like um Elect, yeah, and, and like good chord progressions and things, but I think I'm more, less interested now in like electronic influences or more, more and more layers for the sake of more and more layers. I mean, I say this: the album has some enormous arrangements, but generally that's like musical. They're musical layers. They're like a, there's a string quartet and there's a thing and whatever. So I think um, well, le le less is more, though. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm definitely thinking that. I think after the album, I'm planning to do like a, um, after the album releases, I'm planning to do a sort of lo-fi recording most of it in here on yeah. pretty, pretty basic uh, equipment with loads of bird noise in the background and loads of stuff like that. I just think like... Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in in stripping stuff back, and the bands I like as well. They play most of their most like Wilco and Big Thief. They play most of their record live as a band, and then do yeah. overdub. And I think that's yeah. really. I'm more interested in in live than something overly tampered with. Which I, I mean, make artists always say this stuff, and then they don't. But I, I think I think that's where I really I really like who I really like in terms of artists. Yeah, there's a big, there's a big across the media. There's a big movement towards that kind of organic, natural feel, isn't there? I think in terms of podcasting, it's proven that to a certain extent. And certainly, people who listen to this podcast will know that I'm, I'm not in for too much technical refinement and, and, and fancifulness in terms of just having a, a base conversation. But I think the difficulty for you is because you're someone engrossed in it to a depth of of esoteric kind of appreciation of music that actually it's hard to realise that the audience it's not doesn't understand necessarily the nuance of, of the sound quality. They just want a good song, don't they? And I think they will accept slightly reduced levels of, of quality recording. And also to the fact that you can record fairly decent quality at home now compared to, say, 15, 20 years ago, the game's changing. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that is true to a certain extent. I think that you'd be surprised how much the stuff that you hear on the radio or the stuff that you hear... Um, doing really well it only gets picked up and pushed to that level because certain people have curated it before you've heard it and like the stuff like the mix and even the even the mastering bizarrely is what like it, it it's sort of the difference between hearing something and thinking 
Oh yeah, that's that's. I don't know. I, I think I think most people actually don't really listen to the song. Is my point. Most people really. I'm I'm shocked to the core working with, um, uh, you know, producers and stuff like that. They say they don't even know which bit. Like they they don't even know any of the lyrics, any of the. <laughs> And they're like with you know with me in the, the studio. My band don't know any of the lyrics to my songs. The people literally don't listen to it. Like, <laughs> so it's, Bob, a, it's Bob, a feeling. It's the emotion. The feeling. Yeah, and that is a lot, especially on the recording. That's a lot. That's why I talk about like the quality of the recording, the quality of the mix, is because they, the difference between like something making the arm, the um, hairs on your arm stand up, could literally be like the balance of the track the quality of the master the the like how much you feel surrounded by it or whatever yeah. so like for people like um like bob x the classic example in my band he, he he wouldn't be able to tell you the lyrics to like any song he's ever listened to he just he just like he just hears the track so for him the kind of quality is actually quite I mean, I do. I think videos are different. I think if you put up a video of you singing a song, people can kind of, they don't mind if the sound's bad because they're kind of attaching to your performance. But I think once something is just the sound recording, people, you'd be surprised how much people like stuff to sound good. You know, so there's a reason that like Elliot Smith doesn't get, people don't listen to his music um, in a kind of mainstream setting or, or for the majority of people it's because they there's so much recording hiss like and, yeah. and like background noise and stuff like that and that that just doesn't exist in pop music like it just it just can't be a thing really don't even know who elliot smith is but it's, it's funny you say that because there's, this, there's a, the quality is the key you say to those sort of kind of big pop hits but then actually the way that we listen to music become more conscious is we listen to it in a terrible form of quality because people have it in their phones Some people play it on their phone speakers in the kitchen, myself yeah. included. Um, and people listen to it at these formats. And actually it's funny when we, you know, for, for us, dad's had his Bang & Olufsen 1960s. Well, his dad's, his father's, so my grandfather, our grandfather's uh, Bang & Olufsen bought um, equipment from the 1960s, the record player with the massive speakers refurbed kindly by Jason Briggs and his team at Bang & Olufsen in Cheltenham who sponsored the podcast and the quality of, of the old records Hendrix and Bob Marley that he's played on there Aretha Franklin all these people with wonderful sounds and voices you think that is a, a different experience and a different quality of music than than I've heard for a long time but we used to have a record player at home when we were kids and actually you realize that we do all listen to a sort of computerized junk food version of food uh, of music yeah yeah I think um I think a lot of people listen on decent-ish headphones, so that's good. I mean, I, I like listening to music on on headphones. Um, I listen to most most music in in the car, to be honest, which has a, a pretty decent um, pretty decent thing. But yeah, I mean, it's it's depressing. But like when you're doing mixing and mastering, a lot of that nowadays is saying like, how does it sound through shit shit speakers? How does it sound through a a, a um, Alexa a or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it sound through? How does it sound through a phone? Oh, we need to push the 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 um, mids and trebles in the the bass kick of the drum because otherwise you won't know there's a bass drum there, mm. which is a weird, which is really weird. You know, I mean, you don't you don't normally. I mean, there's there's because a bass kick, a bass drum has the the element which is like the tap, like the kind of clap, and then loads of obviously like sub. 
and a lot of records barely have any of the sub because it sort of comes across as mud in bad speakers but then you push all of the um the kind of clicky element so that when you're listening yeah. to the phone you can hear the bass kick so, so it's very counterintuitive and bizarre if you're a if you're a musician but that's kind of how how i, I mean i listen to stuff on a phone if i if i'm checking whether or not i'm then going to go and listen to it more that's how, how i see it really and you have to pre like, i suppose you always have to have that sympathy it's not like people are necessarily sort of neanderthals are just like a booming sound it's the fact that they have busy you always have to when you're working in a craft re reflect the fact that people have busy lives they just want you to give them a simple either information oh, yeah. or, or emotion i suppose music as you say is mostly is emotion really yeah yeah and and also it's about like it's about a balance it's like you want it to listen you want it to sound good on everything that people are going to listen to it and and you'd hope that if somebody listens if somebody sees your track come up um that you've just released it and they press play on their phone it's it should sound good enough that then they want to go and listen to the to it again you know that's really i suppose what you're what you're hoping for you hope that it, it actually does get listened to by some people on headphones or whatever but yeah and you've had a band consistently for a while that's interesting with the analogy with the podcast which is called sport and life to try and tie it to that but there is an element i suppose of some of the tensions with sport where you have individuals pulled pushed together to to make a team to knit together to sort of have a an ego but blend that ego with, with different components that's a sort of an art and a science isn't it i suppose is that something that you feel is coming together now i um i love i i could not be i mean i literally don't have the technical technical capabilities but um i could couldn't be wouldn't want to be a kind of one-man band um make everything myself really and then i i do, i love having the other other guys do stuff you know it, it's the it's my favorite probably my favorite thing about rehearsing is hearing lorenzo playing lead guitar i love lead guitar but i don't play my, i don't play any lead guitar live but my mm. favorite thing is hearing lorenzo playing and i do you know they'll you i have to make much less um kind of direction now than i did a year or two ago because i would i would formerly have had to like say oh no not i don't really use those chords or like i don't really like obviously it varies but like you know um uh, the guy sheldon who you know yeah sheldon's a, a neo soul gospel keys player so he will you know if you're if you're not looking he will throw in a ridiculous jazz chord <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> And, I, and 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 sometimes sometimes it's it's relevant and sometimes it's not and so I I've always been it been you know it's a slightly awkward position because especially with musicians who are actually you know better craftsmen than you in terms of their their instrument you're kind of directing them it's always slightly slightly weird but but now I have to do very little in terms of choices I mean like I trust them now to know what what fits and what doesn't and. And I like I, I love having them them give ideas and it's just band dynamic is just lovely when it's when it's you know when it's good it's it's um that's the best thing I would have loved to have been in a band I think but then the I'd, yeah I'd love to be the the kind of front man of a band properly not just like a solo artist with a band but I I've seen so, the other thing is I've seen so many bands like 
just break up even break up when they're just about they've, they've just got a deal and they're just about to release their first album and they break up like i know so many people have done that and i think being autonomous at least in the kind of writing and the promoting of the music but having the band dynamic in rehearsals for me is a good is a good balance just because it just because you know that you're the drive you can keep stuff going what what about if they had a good song idea then they came to you with like they've written a song or hadn't had a riff or something yeah that work? oh no i'm totally cool with that bobek um bobek's had a couple of things that we've used um uh certainly live we play he, he had a bass line that i then we we did this thing that was a whistle like i just whistled over bobek playing bass um with and, the, and a jam underneath it and i i I love that i mean they don't oh i suppose yeah i don't know I, lorenzo does some does some writing but they they don't yeah we've done we've done bits of it alex i've sent i've sent um the start of songs to um to alex who's a who's a pianist who's, who's an incredible kind of classical pianist I've sent some ideas over to him and he's um, one of the songs on the album. He sent back what he thought the second phrase should be. And then yeah. now that's in, that's in the, that's in the song. So, I mean, I'm, I'm totally open to then sending stuff in. I suppose the, the problem is in terms of money, time and money, like if we've got a show to prepare for, if I'm paying for the rehearsals, it's kind of like, right get in we either have a jam or we um mm. or we or we're running the the set and working sections so just in terms of being able to spend the time and money for them to be like oh i've got this thing should we develop that that's just the reality of life though isn't it you, you know, if i could give 24 7 to to music i'd be working and collaborating with everyone all the time but you just yeah, but that's an interesting thing, actually, because there's, there's an analogy there, I think, with semi-professional sport. And um, we've had a on the podcast, former Bath City manager, A.D. Britton was on a, a couple of weeks ago. Really fascinating because he actually got Bath City up to the conference or fifth tier of English football, which, whatever you call it, National League now. And he was talking about the tensions of, of having people who are working as his players then coming to training when they're playing predominantly professional opponents. And it's interesting with, with tennis, a lot, I knew a lot of uh, guys when I was younger who were trying to make it in tennis and they were having to sort of supplement their income. They were staying in horrible hotels yet trying to perform to a level as sort of semi-professional sports people, which would then allow them to become professional athletes. And once you got that status, it was a lot easier because you had money and you had sponsorship and you could train all the time. And I suppose it's similar to music because we've had that conversation haven't we, about what is the best day job for you to have to, to feel to do your music and it must be something that doesn't take too much time gives you a decent amount of money and not takes too much energy away from you to, to do the music I suppose that's a delicate one for effectively you know a semi-professional musician aren't you in lots of ways is how, how you look at it yeah yeah I'm a yeah I would say that's about right really it's like you know I have a a small but I think sort of legitimate presence as a musician in terms of like if somebody looks at Spotify they're like oh yeah it's a it's a thing like it's a something that this person takes seriously and and other people actually listen to like an artist that people do kind of thing um but it's yeah it's very small and it's not it's not financially you know it's just a a, a sinkhole of money <laughs> and and um 
yeah i think that doesn't doesn't pay much per listen does it the digital world as well that's the interesting thing because you've reached landmarks recently with awake if you're awake in the night haven't you yeah i mean you i think i think i read that you have to get to i think did i read it right is it a million or is it a hundred thousand i think it's probably a million judging by what i get i think if you get a million monthly listeners which is yeah. an obscene, you know, obscene figure if you think about that compared to like record sales or something. Yeah, you go a, a, a million monthly listeners. You can, that's a livable earning, I think. Yeah, compared to a record sale, we'd have to. But that, yeah. but that is mental. That is absolutely mental, isn't it? That's a million people. List. That's a million people listening to your track at least once. Several of them will listen multiple, multiple times. That's just people. So a million monthly listeners to earn a livable wage. It's not making you like a millionaire or anything. That is, cr- that's crazy in terms of audience. Well, numbers, it's, very, it? it's very hard to equate, wasn't it, to the old days? Because most people would listen through the radio or buy an album. So it's, I don't know quite where it, it's such a different world with the, the freedom to publish, the freedom to listen to whatever you want. But as you say, to get people who self-navigate themselves to your Spotify page and you get a million, million of them to do so in a world where there's not those lightning rods directing people that they used to be. And I know there's blogs and things online where music aficionados go, but it's quite, it's not necessarily the same as where you had Radio 1, 20, 25 million listeners who would, you know, listen to a song and then go and buy an album. So it's a, it's, a, it's an no. intriguing world. Radio, yeah, radio does have a does have a part to play still, but um, yeah, the the numbers of listeners you have to get is pretty is pretty crazy to be. But I mean, it does it does happen. I mean, that's the other thing. People consume so much music now, so like the fact that there are a million people listening to an audio to an to an artist for a month uh, in a month, they they're like like I know people who listen to tens and tens of thousands of hours of music a year. Yeah. Quite a, lot, quite a lot of people it might be partially background but no one used to listen to that much music well pe- people have said to us are you related to jj draper independently and actually you know being surprised when we were so they've listened to you and found you through spotify or, or whatever it might be but i suppose that the flip side is and it's a it's a dual-edged sword we're doing this podcast now again i've had some support on the podcast but it's not going to be a lucrative enterprise unless you hit the stratosphere of a joe rogan experience or something of that nature where you kind of galvanize that that bigger listenership on a regular basis but at the same time we're we're free and able to to publish this onto the internet and people potentially can listen to it so and, and with the same with music that i suppose in the olden days you would need a, a huge backing of a record company even to put music out yeah 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 i mean that's definitely true and and also you can cre- curate nice can you know like so I can get either I like I, I've 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 really enjoyed the last year, which is having. Um, well, I haven't really enjoyed the last year. I mean, for obvious reasons. But, 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 but what what is the mood of the music business? Is it feeling like it's coming back? The events music business is, is there some sort of optimism around it? I suppose there's always that tinge of of anxiety over what the winter may hold. But do they feel they can cr- get cracking now? I mean, I don't I I don't know because I'm not you know. I don't know what the kind of all I know is that people are definitely back to sh- shows and everything and shows are going on. Um, I don't know. I don't know the mood of the I mean, re- I guess record labels didn't. They didn't suffer as much because the 
I mean, obviously they do get income from tours, but I mean, I think I think they're getting back to gigs. I mean, the 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 big issue is the the one that's facing a lot of people is the big the big tours, particularly around Europe, are just completely screwed because of the um, the complete like lack of foresight or support from the government in terms of uh, people being able to tour across, across Europe. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, but also the the touring musicians. We it was like the EU offered the um, our government reciprocal terms in terms of touring freely. Um, A work permits, yeah, yeah, permits to tour. It's a nightmare. I saw somebody's um, spreadsheet yesterday about just just trying to do one function gig in Italy. The the they have to um they have to like uh itemize every single piece of equipment their measurements their weights their serial numbers and i'm talking like down to like cable ties and and wires and stuff like that just across a border and at any point any of the borders um obviously there can be hold-ups they can be asked to get everything out of the van inspected and all of this stuff which budget Tour, tour budgets used to be done so tight so like you'd, you know you'd go from like um a gig in france to a gig in italy the next day yeah and or even you know travel or even like you have to travel through the night or whatever so any hold up along the way can lead to a cancelled gig because you can't afford to stay extra nights because the budgets are all so tight so it's just made it completely un, un, undoable for a lot of people so that's i think the I think after the the um, lockdowns and restrictions, people are getting back to gigging. Uh, you know that's fine. And in this country, doing tours within this country, the larger issue going forward is going to be people getting back to the really big tours that make them a lot of money. Yeah, and also and that- make the make the bloody country the money. That the, you know is one of the one of the really successful exports of this country. Like one of about three things that we do uniquely <laughs> well uniquely yeah. well is managing and art is managing tours and artists you know yeah. exports and then it's it's complete crop it's completely cropped so i mean thankfully and i say thankfully semi-ironically like i'm not at the stage where that i'm making that income and suddenly that's disappeared yeah um, and that is the so, way that is the way to make it as you say with the digital publishing of music it's been the way to make money is to to tour definitely and sell and sell tickets yeah 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 i mean you know there's got to be there's got to be some solution because people want to see uk bands around the world so there, there there has to be some solution but at the moment people just don't know what what to do yeah and you what you wonder as well in sport the, the levies that are put onto football clubs during the pandemic the financial strains the lack of income through the gates and, and the amount of traveling that the elite clubs do as well the, the sort of general combined cumulative challenges of the of the time i think you're right it probably is and we've seen that certainly in even derby county in recent times are facing administration and points deductions and, and going down to the third tier of english football which is an historic club derby so it's a it's a shame what's what's happening there and it's been financially mismanaged but exacerbated by the the conditions of the of the pandemic on the football front as a manchester united fan i know that you uh, you like to message us regularly on the whatsapp games or whatsapp during the yeah. united games what's your take because we're speaking at a time when United had come off a run of losing to young boys away in the Champions League, albeit with 10 men 
then beating West Ham just about in the Premier League, uh, despite Mark Noble's late stoppage time missed penalty. Well, David De Gea saved it. We should emphasise that because it's a rarity for, for De Gea to save a penalty. And then off the back, West Ham then gaining revenge, David Moyes, redemption for Moyes at Old Trafford. So it's it's a, it's a roller coaster, isn't it? Still continuing despite I, the return of Ronaldo. What do you think? Well, I just think, I think we need a, a serious tactician in the club because I, I you know, obviously very fond of Ole and I think his signings have been actually you know pretty good and I think um, he's obviously quite a good man manager and he's a great kind of ambassador for the club but I think his tactics are seriously shoddy like just that that capitulation in Europe was unbelievable I can't believe that we we put like 10 men at the back from the 45th minute yeah we were one one nil up it was just I mean I've nobody seems to understand that decision you know everybody was saying you know there's even you know major major press articles about it everyone like why did we have to sit back against against young boys when we we're one nil up we could have carried on playing our game if they get one back, yeah you know this proportionate response, arguably to the opponents, and you know, it's not totally. Bar- not Barcelona twenty eleven that, you, that you're dealing with. Oh, total total panic! So that felt unnecessary, and I think that's something that's an ongoing issue. Tactically, we're a bit naive. Um, so I think going forward, if we could get someone in who is a, more of a tactician as a as a coach or whatever, um, and the West Ham thing, I. I've always been annoyed about this swapping out 11 players thing because I just think I know it's I know people I know it's an extremely um busy season with playing at an incredibly high tempo but I just think surely it's better to maintain momentum and the sort of um sort of feeling of a first 11 yeah a really solid first 11 than constantly swapping out and then getting, getting. I mean, to be honest, I didn't think we played that badly against West. That second team, I don't think played that badly um, against West Ham. We we looked toothless, but I think that's because Martial, unfortunately, just his movement is just nowhere near good enough. Um, I think he's kind of we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to ship him out. I think because he just doesn't he hasn't improved and his and his he's, he makes us look very blunt up top. Um, but I think yeah, we looked we looked a bit blunt because we didn't have Ronaldo. I think you know we didn't have we didn't have Pogba who who would have thrived. I think with there was so much space and so much space to play passes, like you saw with when Greenwood came on, he was just sort of immediately constantly getting behind the defence. Um, I think so. I mean, I don't think the West Ham one was such a such a bad thing. I think just I think just yeah, tactically, I think it's a bit naive I think I mean I'm gutted you know we, we've spoken about this before I'm gutted we didn't get a uh, a defensive midfielder in the mm. uh, in the, that just seems weird I mean it's like again something that like everyone yeah. and then everyone and then Nan can see that we need a defensive midfielder but just for whatever reason we we won't we won't sign one it's bizarre yeah um I don't know if it's just because such a gaping hole in the team that people will push the push the price up so much that we're scared of that. I don't know. Well, I don't know what the 
finding the right player, I suppose. I mean, they did invest heavily in Fred, didn't they? So there's a big financial, but that's maybe a sunk cost that you then have to just accept that that's gone, I suppose, in terms of in terms of the team and, and look elsewhere. And there's, there's a theory, theories abound that Scott McTominay, who was an attacking midfielder, can be moulded into something a la Roy Keane, who was an attacking midfielder back in the, the 90s and became one of the best defensive midfielders, if not the best in the world. So I suppose there's a sense that maybe that's a, another a theory of travel. And there's been Donny van der Beek was signed, but not knowing exactly where he plays. He says he can play as an eight, but people think of him as a 10 and you have Bruno Fernandes anyway. So I think it's unclear. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting one psychologically to think for everyone where you are in your life and you have to swallow your ego a little bit. And United have to do that to a certain extent. And I think, as you say, making 11 changes for... Carabao Cup tie is probably not prudent given that we, the club hasn't won a trophy since 2017. It's only won three trophies in eight and a half years since Rex Ferguson left. It isn't Manchester United at 2013 where you can be maybe a little bit nonchalant about the League Cup, even though typically they weren't the big managers, typically Mourinho and Guardiola target the League Cup. You have to be realistic of where you are. And actually the League Cup is your best shot of a trophy at this stage, maybe the FA Cup, but the Champions League and the Premier League seem still a way down the line but you could use something like the league cup to at least galvanize some momentum so i think that probably is a decision that's that's curious but though moisey and, and west ham made 10 changes only jared bowen was retained from there to get the Premier yeah. so it's it, it, so you can argue that maybe they've got a you know as good a squad as united or just were better managed on the day or got lucky it's i suppose it's, it's how you look at it but it is it is opaque jj we can talk yeah no no go on no go go yeah I was going to say, we could talk about United all day, but <laughs> don't get yeah, too, yeah. Too, too depressed because it is very, it's very vague and, and, and unclear and, and inconsistent. Um, but overall, overall, it, overall, it's looking, um, you know, I, I'm enjoying what I'm enjoying watching most games now, which has been different from seven, the last sort of seven years, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. There, there, are, yeah. there, there are, there are multiple players that I tune in now to watch rather than for most of the last like five years I've only ever been interested in watching Pogba just because as much as he might frustrate he still was the only kind of player I thought might do something awesome you know but now we've got yeah we've got more of that spread across the team bit of start bit of stardust definitely a bit of um yeah. ma- magic in, magic in there uh, so tell us where we can follow you JJ and you've got that you've recently posted some music videos online as well haven't you yeah I'm um, my handle on all social media is I am JJ Draper, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter is just mostly football ranting. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, Instagram is where I do most do most stuff. And yeah, there's there's some nice um, live studio videos. There's another one to come in November. I've got uh, my song, Oh Brother, coming out next Friday and the gig on the um gig on the saturday at uh, camden assembly great what's the new what's the new song sorry brother where art thou oh brother oh brother yeah i think that yeah. was a <laughs> i'm thinking of the coen brothers film there but yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's um, got really amazing string quartet string quartet it should be cool should be good brilliant well i'll post it on my social media as well jj good to speak to you we'll catch up soon yeah. have a good one see you in a bit yeah, hope that gig goes well at the weekend. I need to see him soon, actually. I haven't seen him for a few years. What, with becoming a father and working most weekends as a sports broadcaster at Sky Sports. But great that he's got that gig this weekend. Hopefully, the, the all-encompassing, I suppose, for the music industry, things are coming back online, which is is fantastic. It has been such a difficult, difficult time, hasn't it? Um, but check out I am JJ Draper on social media. Get down to that gig at Camden if you can. 
in North London. I'm sure they'll be hopefully thick and fast now as we ease our way and just sort of stagger out of the pandemic and, and look to get back to some sort of um, normality and busyness. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors, Bagnolison of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Remember, if you are looking to optimize your immunity as we, I guess, turn towards winter and the tunnel, as they call it in the UK, dark months, if you look at vitamin D, vitamin D, you may call it particularly as the sun becomes quite a rare commodity and it's not particularly strong sun when we do see it over the next few months in the UK. You can go to Cytoplan or whatever supplement you're looking for. Go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk and the discount code is DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. And if you are interested in that Attic Box audio idea, the idea of me as a broadcaster now for 20 years coming and sitting down and having a sort of podcast style, relaxed conversation with a loved one of yours about their life story to get it in a quality recording for posterity, for um, time immemorial, for future generations to enjoy and to cherish, listen to when you're driving or, or cooking a dinner, that grandfather's voice, the grandmother's voice and their story in their own words, then get in touch via the drapermedia.co.uk website. More information there on Attic Box Audio. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please tell a friend, rate it on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to it on. Always appreciate it. And um, yeah, just spread the word. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. And goodbye for now. Have a good week.